Don't look now. Welcome to Don't Look Now. We have a new week's episode for you all with your host, Jenny McDonald. Hello. And Will Hageman. Me, I guess. And <laughs> Jenny is promising us a, a glorious topic of length today that should be a multi-parter here. So, so. Yes, just two, because nice. if we get beyond that, I start to lose the thread. Turn into a saga. <laughs> Multi multi year saga of something. We could right. do a whole Mad Royals like. Oh yeah, yeah. That well, there's never a shortage there. I so. know. Uh, I total sidetrack, <laughs> but whatever. It's about to happen. Um, yeah. I was on the the Book of Face this week, and there was a picture of a painting that's like the most inappropriate painting in the world. <laughs> oh yeah. Um. So it's a picture of a woman from the angle of vagina up, mm-hmm. and it's like the most blocked photo move or like painting ever yeah and they just recently discovered who this woman was they thought for years it was this one particular model that the guy had been painting and instead it was somebody's girlfriend <laughs> and they figured it out because they matched her pubic hair there you go and something about that just yeah anyhow yeah, yeah and yeah. it turned out to be like some royal person's forensic girlfriend. pubic hair matching yeah. <laughs> right. yeah yeah but it was a it was a mad royal's girlfriend so okay yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. But this did have a point guys Checks it out. all came back Checks together out. yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, anyhow. Okay, let's get into this. Have you watched really bad movies on Netflix ever? Of course. So there's, I don't know if it's still on Netflix, but a couple years ago, one of my friends and I got a little tipsy on some rum chata and decided to watch a bad horror film on Netflix. And it's called The Devil's Pass. The Devil's Pass. And it's based on a true story. Okay. It's based on the Dyatlov Pass incident. Okay. Have you ever heard of this? Yeah, I think this is the is this the Russians that's yes 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 that is yes. a fascinating thing so yeah yeah so yeah I figured okay. you'd yeah, be excited that, by it the party that's found okay cool yeah yep. I'll let you go into it but yes <laughs> this is one I actually thought of a while back is something that we should definitely do at some point so so the reason why this is a two parter is because um, the, the background story needs to it be drawn out and explained really mm-hmm. well and then there's all these really yeah. interesting conspiracies so many theories so many theories right yeah right so here we go. The Dyatlov Pass incident is um, basically it refers to the death of nine skiers hikers in the northern Ural Mountains. Um, this is in the former Soviet Union between the 1st and 2nd of February of 1959. And no one understands or knows why they died. Yep. So this experienced group of trekkers, they were all from the Ural Polytech Institute, had established a camp on the slopes of Kolat Siaki in an area now named in honor of their group's leader, who is Igor Dyatlov. So during the night, something causes them to tear out their way out of their tents, flee the campsite. All of them are inadequately dressed for how cold it is, mm-hmm. and they're found all over the area, dead. Yeah. All right. Six of them have died from hypothermia, but three of them are showing signs of physical trauma. One of the victims has a fractured skull, and two of them have major chest fractures. Additionally, a body of another team member was missing their tongue and their eyes. (laughs) And the official investigation concluded that an unknown compelling force had caused these deaths. Yeah. And like I said, there are a bunch of really interesting theories out there, and that's a whole... That's going to be our whole next episode. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. 
So part of why I was interested in this is that they reopened this case in February. Okay, I didn't know that. Yep. So the families have been petitioning to have the official investigation reopened. Mm -hmm. Um, People are a lot more open with information now than they were in the late 50s. I can imagine, especially in that area. Right. So they're hoping that they can get some answers, but that was in February and it's now August and I haven't heard much. Okay, so let's start with the members of the expedition. We have 23-year-old leader Igor Dyatlov, and he was um, found... To, and they believe he died of hypothermia. Okay. There was Yuri Doroshenko, who was 21. He also died of hypothermia. Ludmila Dubiana, she was 20, and she was the one that had severe chest trauma, was missing both of her eyes and her tongue. As one does. As one does. Then we have another Yuri, also called Yorgi Krivonshenko, who was 23, and he died of hypothermia. Alexander Koltov was 24, who died of hypothermia. And Zenedia Kolmogrova was female. Oh, not female. She was 22. Yeah. Those are the words. <laughs> died of hypothermia. Um, Rustin Slobodin was 23. And then we have the fatal skull injury guy was Nikolai Brignoles. He was 23. And Simon Zolotarov, who was 38. He Old also, man, huh? yeah, in comparison to the other ones, I thought that was weird actually. Um, he had severe chest trauma and his eyes were missing. Yep. Right? Um, and then there's another Yuri. We're up to our third Yuri now. <laughs> <laughs> Yuri Yudin, who was 21, actually left the expedition prior to this because mm-hmm. he wasn't feeling very good. And he lived until um, 2013 when he died at the age of seven, 75. Wow. So he made it out of there. Yeah. Just in time. Yeah. So that's kind of sad, actually. Wouldn't you hate to be that person? Yeah, but it'd be better than being dead. Yeah. But, you know. Would it, though? Uh, You know, I would. I don't know. I just, I had never. If I had, if I had, if I had. I've never been in the situation where I could have survivor's guilt, so I don't know how I would deal with that. Yeah. But, yeah, you know. I don't know. It's sad. So let's talk about the expedition. The the group arrives by trains at Yvedal a town at the center of the northern province of Sverdlovsk Oblast in the morning hours of January 25th, 1959. There they take a truck to Vizai, which is a lorry village. I think it's that means like it's a trucker's yeah, like, lorry stop. Would be a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Truck stop somewhere, yeah. Yeah. Um, and this is their last inhabited settlement to the north. So basically the only people going there are truckers. Um, and while spending the night at Vizai, the skiers purchase and ate loaves of bread to keep their energy levels up to, for their next day's hike. Now, this is an expedition. Why they only took enough bread for like a day or two, I'm confused. Yeah, you know, a bunch of 20-year-old. Right? I know, dang kids. Yeah. So on the 27th, they begin their trek towards or- Oroton from Vizai. On the 28th of January, Yuri starts to get really sick. Um... He's having health ailments that include rheumatism, which is the the swelling of joints. Mm -hmm. And then he has a congenital heart defect. So he decides to turn back because his knee and joint pain is so bad he can't hike. Yeah. Which, lucky man in some ways, I guess. I mean, not to be in pain. but Yeah, but yeah. Yeah. Survive his guilt. Anyhow, um, the remaining nine continue on the trek. Diaries and cameras found around their last campsite uh, allowed them to track the group's route from the day preceding the incident 
On the 31st, the group arrived at the edge of a highland area and began to prepare to climb. In a wooded valley, they they cached all their surplus foods and equipment so that they could get the extra stuff on the way back so that they had food on their way back down. The following day, they start to move through the pass. They had planned to get over the pass and make camp for the next night on the opposite side, but because of a snowstorm and decreasing visibility, they lost their direction and deviated west towards the top of Kolatsyakl. When they realize their mistake, they stop and set up camp there on the mountain. Um, Rather than move the 1.5 kilometers downhill to a forested area, which would have offered them some shelter from the elements. Mm -hmm. Um, The guy that survives says, Dyatlov probably did not want to lose the altitude they had gained. Yeah. Um, And also, he probably wanted to practice camping on a slope. I mean, that all actually makes really good sense from a hiking perspective. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's just what we know about the expedition. Before leaving, Dyatlov had agreed he would send a telegram to their sports club at the university as soon as they returned to Visay. They thought that that would happen no later than February 12th. But Dyatlov had told Yudin that before his departure from the group that he expected it would probably be a little bit longer. Okay. So when the 12th day passed and nobody had gotten any messages, no one really reacted because they were like, well, that's pretty common. Mm -hmm. I mean, this could happen. And we already kind of were aware he thought it was going to take longer. Yeah. And you wouldn't be as worried because it's a large group as opposed to a group of some single hopper hiker out there or something. So nine people going missing. That's pretty rare. Yeah. One person going missing. Not that uncommon, unfortunately. Yeah. So on the 20th of February, the relatives of the the travelers are like, "Mm, we reached this is weird stage now. Like, we should have heard something. So they demand a rescue operation. And the head of their university sends the first rescue group. And this is just a group of volunteers and teachers. No one finds them. Yeah. Later, the army and the militia forces become involved. And they bring out planes and helicopters to join the rescue operation. Hey. So we're now at day 26th of February. Um, the searchers find the group's abandoned, badly damaged tent on Kolatsiakl. The campsite totally is baffling. They have no idea. The guy that finds it, Mikhail Sheravan, um, says the tent was half torn down and it was completely covered with snow. It was empty and all the belongings and shoes had been left behind. That would be terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Just terrifying to find. Investigators said the tent had been cut open from the inside, and there were eight or nine sets of footprints, nine people, right, mm-hmm. um, left by the people who were wearing only socks or a single shoe. Some were barefoot, and they followed the footprints. So in my head, I'm thinking there was snow on top of the tent. It must have snowed after they left, but if you can still see footprints. Yeah. So this is, I mean, I don't know if we want to get into it now or not, but the, the prevailing non-weird guess about what happened is avalanche that basically they're there they're hit by an avalanche the tent's partially buried right they cut their way out freak out go running right and then freeze right that that's plausible except for some of the weird things that you know, <laughs> <laughs> we'll except get into yeah, yeah except they for, didn't have a tongue yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. but then then you'd say it's well it's crows or something else they like eyes and or tongues, it's mind so, blindness yeah. or they were altitude yeah. sick or yeah, whatever yeah, yeah. yeah so um they follow these footprints to the edge of the woods, and um, they find it on the opposite side of the pass, 1.5 miles away, 1.5 kilometers, which is about a mile to the northeast of the campsite. Mm-hmm. Um, after 500 meters, the tracks were covered with snow. So once again, that falls into your avalanche theory there. 
And at the forest's edge, under a large Siberian pine, the searchers find the remains of a small fire. Hmm. There were the first two bodies, those of Kivronshenko and Doroshenko. The shoelit, they were shoeless and dressed only in their underwear. So good thing they started a fire. Yeah. The branches of the tree were broken five meters high, suggesting that one of the skiers had climbed up to look for something, perhaps the camp. So, like, they got up so they could get some space mm-hmm. to see. Between the pine and the camp, the searchers found three more corpses, that of Dyatlov, Kolman Gorova, and Slobodin, who seemed to have died in poses suggesting they were attempting to return to the tent. They were found um, separately at distances of 300, 480, and 630 meters from the tree. So at least we know about five of them had regrouped, yeah. started a fire, gotten up high to see if they could find the campsite, mm-hmm. and then... Some of them tried to head back, and I froze. Right. So finding the remains of four of tra- the four travelers that were left took mm-hmm. two months. Yeah. They were finally found on May 4th, four meters under snow, in a remind- ravine 75 meters further into the woods from the pine tree. Three of them were better dressed than the others... Um, there were signs that those who had died first had their clothes relinquished to the others. So they mm-hmm. just ripped the clothes off the dead bodies. And Dubiana was wearing Kravonshenko's burned, torn trousers, and her left foot and shin were wrapped in a torn jacket. Hmm. So she must have been alive long enough to do that. Yeah. That's... Right. Okay. So a legal inquest starts immediately after the first five bodies are found. Thank goodness they didn't wait for yeah, two yeah. months for the <laughs> other ones. And a medical examination found that there were no injuries that might have led to their death. Um, and they concluded that they all died of hypothermia. And then Slobodin was the one with the crack in his skull, but they didn't think that was the the fatal okay. like wound. Just, all right. Yeah. It just was a coincidence. Yeah, all, right. all right. Yeah. An examination of the four bodies that were found later um, shifted this whole narrative to what happened during the incident. Since three of them had fatal injuries, there was the one with the major skull damage, and then the other two had the major chest fractures. Um, Dr. Vazrozdany decided that a force required to cause all the damage that they had was considerably higher than that of the force of a car crash. Mm -hmm. None of the bodies had external wounds associated with the bone fractures. So like in a lot of injuries, you expect to see people like cross their hands across their face. Yeah. Um, That's a protective stance. If ever you, if ever you're interested in anyone, um, animal attacks, you will see yeah. crisscross cuts on arm on forearms mm-hmm. because people are trying to cover their faces. Yeah. So if you don't see small nicks on the arms and the hands, but you know that there's animal bites elsewhere, it creates the question, were they alive when they were yeah. Yeah, yeah. in my animal? Yep. Yep. Okay. Sorry. I'm sure everybody wanted to know that information. No, no, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but again, this kind of goes with the, the avalanche. If they're, if they're swept up in the initial avalanche and pummeled. Yes. You know, and dragged down because they found these further down. So that would be a good question. Except, can you explain why they were missing their tongues, eyes, and part of their lips? So I'm just going with animals after death <laughs> because, you know, those are the soft parts that birds like to But they were under get. four meters of snow. Snowbirds. Snowbirds. Burrowing owls. <laughs> Burrowing owls. There Burrowing you go. owls. Snow rats. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. So one of the women um, had... Uh, Dubiana was the one that was missing her tongue, eyes, part of her lips, some of her facial tissue, and a fragment of her skull bone. She also had skin macerations on her hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it was claimed that she was found lying face down in a small stream that ran under the snow, and that probably that was just the result of being in water. However, <laughs> there was also some questions about that. 
Um, initially, the investigation led them to believe that an indigenous group of people called the Mansai had attacked and murdered the group for encroaching upon their lands. But the investigation said, you know, this doesn't really support this. Mm-hmm. Um, only the hikers' footprints are visible, and there's no signs of hand-to-hand struggles. So although the temperature is really low, um, in American temperature it was negative 13 to negative 22 degrees Fahrenheit. Mm-hmm. With a storm blowing, the dead were only partially dressed. Some only had one shoe, some had socks, some had nothing, some were wrapped in other people's clothes that they thought they had cut off of people. So they didn't even like peel it off, they had to cut it off. Yeah. So they must have been frozen for a while to have had that level of huh. like, yeah. Okay, so the journalist that at the time tried to put together this list of like facts, right? So yeah. like here's just the bare bone facts. Mm-hmm. Six of the groups died of hypothermia, three with fatal injuries. There's no indication of people nearby from Colette's local and apart from the nine travelers. Their tent was ripped open from within. The victims died six to eight hours after their last meal. Okay. Traces of the camp showed that all the group members left the campsite on their own accord on foot. Okay. So nobody was swept away initially if there was something like that. Okay. All right. There was high levels of radiation found. Yeah, that's the fun one. Only on one person's clothes. (laughs) So um, there was no sign of hand-to-hand combat, and all the documents that have been released, they don't have any information on the condition of the internal organs, so the autopsies didn't Mm -hmm. have tests on that. At the time, the verdict was that the group members had all died because of a compelling natural force. The inquest officially closed May of 1959, and there was no guilty party found, and then the files were all sent to a secret archive. (laughs) That's as as, as as you, you do as you do if you're the USSR. I mean, come on. That's right. Yeah. So crazy um, conspiracy. April twelfth, yeah, mm-hmm. two thousand eighteen, the remains of Simon Zoltarev were examined upon the initiative of journalists, um, and a bunch of contradictory results were obtained. One of the experts states that the character of the injuries resembled a person knocked down by a car, but the DNA analysis didn't match any of the living relatives. <laughs> That's a problem. Right. Um, in addition, it turns out that the name is not on the list of buried at that cemetery. <laughs> Nevertheless, they did do a reconstruction of the face from the exhumed skull mm-hmm. that does agree with post-war pictures of this guy. Um, but they are suspicious, journalists are, that it was just another person hiding under this name after the yeah. war. And is this the older guy? Yeah. Okay. The 38-year-old. Yeah. All right. Yep. So, at three years after the incident, they closed the region off to hikers, but apparently now you can go through that area. Nice. So, yeah, so we've got crazy hikers, and we've got a Don Draper kind of guy hanging out with them. That's gone, you know, it's all... He's a spy. Yeah, yeah, all right. It's a spy mission. Yeah. Uh, February of 2019, CNN announced that the Russian authorities were reopening the investigation, um, but they're only looking at three possible reasons for mm-hmm. it it can only be an avalanche what's called a snow slab avalanche or a hurricane they complete- a hurricane <laughs> how does one get a hurricane Fuck if I randomly know. in the urals without anyone in the middle nearby of knowing about it right there's not even enough water nearby is this like a snow cane i'm wondering if they've got a translation error there like, maybe yeah. they mean a cyclone 
I don't know because they're too far inland for it to be an ocean, right? Yeah, I mean, which is what mountain tornado maybe. I don't know. Okay, all right. Yeah, weird. Okay, they completely have discounted that there's a possibility of a crime. Okay. Okay, so the next part is that there are some related reports. So like things that happen around the time of this. Mm-hmm. Um, 12-year-old Yuri Kunchev, who later becomes the head of the Yekaterinburg-based Yatlov Foundation, he attended all five of the, he attended five of the hikers' funerals, and he recalls that they all had a deep brown tan. Yeah, that's one of the things that I've... You've heard? Mm-hmm. Especially with that radiation, you're like, did they get burned? Yep. That's one of the fun conspiracy things of good old nuke testing, I'm sure we'll get to. Right. Um, Another group of hikers south of the incident reports that they saw strange orange spheres spheres in the sky to the north on the night of the incident. Similar spheres were observed in Yevdal and adjacent areas continually during the period from March to May of 1959. Um, Various independent witnesses... Um, concluded that, including the meteorology service and the military. There's a lot of orbs in Russia. I don't know if you ever catch, like, Facebook (laughs) posts of Russian car trap videos. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, There's a lot of them. Um, The the sightings were not noted in the initial investigation in 1959, and all the independent witnesses came forward years later. Mm -hmm. So there's really not a lot there. Okay. Um, The aftermath. The tomb of the deceased was in Milkovsko Cemetery in Yekaterinburg, Russia. In 1967, a writer and journalist published the novel um, that was inspired by the incident, and he had been involved in the search for the group as as part of the inquest as the official photographer. So he had a lot more insight into it. Mm -hmm. However, it was written during the height of the Soviet war. So a lot of it was like redacted. Redacted, Yeah. Um, Anything that would have been considered the official position was the only thing he could publish. He'd only say anything that had been in the newspapers, nothing of our, this is our question. This is what we want to know. And the book was kind of a romantic version of everything and had really optimistic, like this was just, they were off in the mountains, they were climbing and everything was wonderful. And then an avalanche and, no. Yeah. And in the book, the only person to have died was the group leader. So it just kind huh. of was like very super whitewashed. Yeah, kinda. super yeah. whitewashed. Um however, his colleagues said he had alternative versions of the novel that were declined because of the censorship. <laughs> so in nineteen eighty, his archives, photos, diaries, and manuscripts were all mysteriously lost. As they do. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Cold War. Yeah. Okay. Oh, and I got a—I don't know if you've got it down, but you know, we mentioned the name of the mountain that they're on, mm-hmm. and you've got the you know the the Russian name. But if I remember right, the the translation is not something pleasant. The Devil's Pass. There you go. That's it. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, so that's yeah. what they got the name for the movie from. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Yeah. I just remembered it was it was something. It's not Happy Mountain that they were on. It was something, right. You know, just to, just to add to the mystery. It's like exactly. Maybe they weren't going through, you know, Happy Valley or something. I was, yeah. No, and the the movie is very similar, only it's in modern times. Okay. But it's the same incident. Yeah. And as you're watching it, you're like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, it, um, what was that? Um, the movie Signs, you know, when the alien yeah. walks across the screen. Mm-hmm. There's a moment where we're watching it. We are trashed, I have to remind <laughs> you. We're watching it, and I was like, what the? <laughs> <laughs> 
and my friend's like, I didn't see anything. I was like, just. I probably spoiled that whole movie for everyone. You're going to watch it, though. There's a moment. It's hilarious. Okay, so another um, thing that happened was another book was written called The Price of State Secrets is Nine Lives by um, Antoli Gushkin. And um, he had this, he had done a bunch of research about this and thought that he needed to get these state secrets out there for people to see. But Everyone criticizes this work because he totally makes this speculative theory that there was some sort of Soviet secret weapon experiment, which um, led to this big public discussion. And then people get really excited about the paranormal Mm -hmm. and like, is this an Area 51 thing? Um, Most of the people that had been involved in the incident were had never talked about it but then all of a sudden started talking about it like 30 years later so their memories were bad um one of them was one of the police officers who led the official inquest and in 1990 he published an article which included his admission that the investigation team had no rational explanation for the incident yeah he states that after his report um was put out there that there were flying spheres that he receives a direct order from high-ranking regional officials to totally dismiss everything about the whole incident okay so it was deny 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 (laughs) in 2000 um a regional russian television company produced a documentary called the mystery of the atlov pass and um a Berg, a writer uh, publishes a fictional documentary novella with the same name so a large part of this book includes a broad quotation from the official case diaries of the victims interviews from searchers and other crap that documentary filmmakers can find somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, and the narrative is is that they were looking at the everyday life and thoughts of the modern woman who attempts to resolve the case. Okay. There's no, no hmm. conclusion from that. <laughs> she So this book is just like the largest... It, I mean, it's this totally fictional book. They made this documentary based on the stuff that she found from the book. Okay. Um, so it's not necessarily super accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting. It's it kind of this whole incident reminds me a lot of um, Blair Witch Project. Yeah, in a lot of ways. Like they all went missing. No one yeah. knows why. And then yeah. we found their diaries, which would have been the 1950s version of we found yeah. their movies. Oh, yeah, and, yeah, and it, it's yeah. I mean, it's just all wrapped up in the fact that you know you had the Soviet system and nobody could really talk openly about anything forever. And by the time anybody right. can talk openly about anything, it's been so long that you can't you don't trust, trust anything. anything that's, yeah. It's, it's all, it's all crazy. Yeah. It's, it is bonkers Phil. So, um, in 1999, the Diatlo foundation was founded in Yekaterinburg with the help of the Ural state technical university where they went to school. Um, mm-hmm. and by the guy that left the, the group early, um, the foundation's stated aim is to continue the investigation and to maintain the Dyatlov Museum to preserve the memory of the dead hikers. Um, in 2016, a plaque was inaugurated in the Ural Perm region dedicated to the sole survivor who died in 2013. Nice. So this has just basically been the background. Yeah, yeah. So we can get into the bonkers we can, theories. We can go into the fun stuff. So yeah, yeah. yeah. I've... I've read a few of them, but I'm sure not that many. So, you know, it's... There's a whole website devoted to this that yeah. the as part of the the plea for the new investigation mm-hmm. that if you want to get it down a rabbit hole... Yeah. That's a rabbit hole that I couldn't even... <laughs> like, four clicks in, I was just like, Jen, you gotta... Yeah. You, you can't. You Everybody's can't. got their favorite pet theory about what happened, and there's so many different, you know, 
it. I'm sure you'll get there, but everything from, yeah, you know, nuclear testing to agents making people crazy to aliens right. to, yeah, you know, everything. There's so. just so many weird coincidences, and it, yeah. maybe they're all coincidental facts that go with it. Yeah. I mean, if you just looked at it from the pure, they cut themselves out of the tent, they ran without clothes, there was some snow, some of the bodies mm-hmm. were found, avalanche, that's all you think. Yeah. Then when you get into one person was found with their eyes and their lip stuff missing, yep. she was found in what they thought was a stream. Okay. Yep. Still natural. Some, yeah. What happened to the other dude's eyes? <laughs> the other dude's eyes. Why is somebody radioactive? Why does everybody have a weird orangish tan? Right. You know, it's, uh, yeah. Why were there orbs in the... Now we're getting yeah. paranoid. Okay. Yeah, it rapidly comes from a mountain accident to something that, you know, you could throw anything in the world at in terms of a theory and try to make it stick. So it, it, it's fun. But It is fun. And it's also fun because we have all those notions of, like, the Cold War era spy novels that yep. we've all read. And, like... Yep. As an American, I'm willing to basically think anything in the world happens in Russia. So, you know, it's, it's kind of like right. if this had happened, like, in, you know, the Rocky Mountains somewhere, like, you know, there wouldn't be anywhere near as many theories about it because, you know. Because people be, would have been like, it's not what you think yeah, it is. Yeah, I wouldn't be like, the government was sitting off nukes in the sky nearby or something. You know, some people would, but the majority. But, <laughs> but it's something that, you know, the Soviet government actually could have done because they did that stuff they right. tested stuff near actual villages of people without telling them and the Ural you Mountains know. I mean I don't know if you get in much to like Nazi lore but there was a lot of rumor that there were Nazi experimentation happening yeah. and with this being so close to post-war mm-hmm. any like weird not f- historical fictional novel I end up reading talks about the Ural Mountains where there's a secret Nazi laboratory yeah. that's been in operation since World War II. Yeah, no the Urals just have a certain mystique about them in general, so it's, right. it's kind of interesting. Yeah. I just have this feeling that if I went to the Ural Mountains, I'd be like, these are foothills, what's going on? Like, yeah. <laughs> these are the Appalachians, these aren't, like, mountains. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I need to look up exactly how how tall the Urals are. I know they're not, you know, the Himalayas by any stretch, but... right. But I think, but they're tall enough that you would need to get acclimated. Yeah, I, I assume that I, I definitely got the feeling that they're they're closer to Rocky-ish than right. Appalachian-ish. But they're somewhere in the middle. Somewhere in there, yeah. But yeah. I could be completely full of crap. I know. I don't actually know. Yeah. You know? it's it's kind of a cool mystery because it's such a different environment than what we're used to. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a climber by any means, but I thought it was interesting that they were going to high, hike slash ski. Yeah. Like that's that's an interesting I don't know, I guess I wouldn't think to do that. Yeah, but I think that's what a lot of people do is you you know basically you hike up to high altitude and then you can go on a giant fun ski back down the valley kind of that thing. That sounds so. terrifying. Skiing just flips me yeah, out. Yeah, you got people that ski down Everest, so, you know. What? Yeah. People that basically yeah, you know, go down and ski their way down same thing with k2 or whatever so that you know. just sounds dangerous please don't do that yeah that's uh i don't think it's recommended in terms of safety but you know if you're someone that's willing to face the you know one in four or five odds you're not coming back anyway i guess you're willing to go ahead and give skiing down a shot but you know yeah do you think that the radioactive guy was a spy maybe so yeah you know i mean why i empathize because so it's older? the it's the old 
I suddenly see myself being like cajoled into coming along on some camping trip by my students. They're like, "Come on, Doctor Hagen, let's go camping. It'll be yeah. fun. We'll go on a hike up in the mountains." I'm like, yeah. "Yeah, yeah, that'll be cool." Okay, so yeah, you're right. Actually, that's a so really. I'm gonna good end point. up being the old dead guy someday. That's that's you know. That's I'm gonna call you a spy. There you go. Like when yeah. all the reports. But come then out everybody of paper. finds out that I'm not me, and I'm actually some weird hobo that's been pretending to be a professor for the last uh, you know actually, five years or something. That would so. be really fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, the real me died a while back. That's where the beard comes from. That's, That's a good yeah. choice. Yeah. I'm going to match your DNA later. Yeah, you know, it's harder to harder to see that I don't really look like myself if, I'm, if I've got a beard. You know. I guess my thing, too, would be, like, if they found, if they did this DNA thing and the family recognized the facial reconstructions that matches pictures yeah. that were what the family said this person what, were, yeah. who he they said he yeah. was... Maybe he was just adopted. Like, yeah. this doesn't have to be that big yeah, of a mystery. Could, yeah, it could be anything. It could be anything from adopted and nobody really talks about it because people didn't talk about that exactly. back then. To it is a guy that's just pretending to be this person and has forever. Right. You know, especially post-war or something else. Right. Guy comes back from the comes war, pretends to be. That's why I was thinking Don Draper because that's the whole story in Mad Men. Right. He's now taken on the, you know, the aspect of, you know, a guy that was killed in the war that, you know, it's like, okay, you know, now I'm that guy. And, right. Nobody knows, and you know, everybody just assumes everybody because they look, that you look close a little different. Enough. Yeah, you look yeah. close enough, and you've been gone for years, and you just went through a war. You know, anything can happen. Yep. Yeah, those like World War One was really notorious for that. I guess like people would, especially if they had any sort of injury, they could come back and be anybody. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Especially you know when you get further back and you don't have as many biometrics on people or whatever right. else, you just kind of have their word for it, and people think, yeah, it looks right. You know. I mean, if he doesn't remember some stuff, he's got shell shock. He just got it's bombed enough. in a trench for years, you know. Yeah. Yeah, you know. I don't know. Well, next time, let's get into some theories. All right. Sounds awesome. All right. All right. Thank you, everybody. We'll catch you later. Catch ya. All right. Bye.